0: All right. Well, welcome to the Book of Revelation. <clears throat> I am your host, Jim. Uh, turn in your Bible to the Book of Revelation. Let's see who can find it and who can't. And we, may, we may have to go a little remedial on that. Uh, actually, we did this class. well, oh, I dare say, a decade ago. Um, you know, I was 14 at the time, and and. It went okay, I think. <laughs> just had Brendan. <laughs> you do the math. But um, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, it's one of those books I absolutely... And I don't know that I have a favorite book of the Bible uh, or anything like that, but I do have a few that sort of have this really special place in my heart. Revelation is one of them. Uh, it just it's, it's a beautiful book. And, and the reason we call it Revelation Light... Is because there is a lot of stuff that we could get our heads wrapped around in the book of Revelation. And we can spend a lot of time worrying about numbers and symbols and signs and omens and and everything like that. And we could get really twisted around in there, spend the better part of a year and come out of it knowing nothing. And not being any bit closer to God than we are right now. And I think that's such a crying shame. It really is, because if you step back and you look at God and you look at God's ability to write and God's ability to work through the Holy Spirit, He has never given us anywhere in the Bible something that's there just sort of for for fluff. Even the genealogies that sometimes we kind of skip through real quick when the daily Bible reading is you know Matthew chapter one or or whatever, and we kind of you know, even those are important. And so Revelation, it's got a purpose. And it's got a reason. And so, you know, we're going to get to the nutrition. And then the nutrition is just the the things that God really wants us to understand. And we're not going to get bound up in some of these empty calories. So, this is week one. And all we're going to do this week is just get calibrated. Because there is something to calibration. And if you've ever, and if you don't think, don't believe me, if you've ever picked up your Bible and read it, if you ever read anything, And you really weren't quite in the right frame of mind. You know, maybe you were stressed or maybe you were preoccupied. You just don't get much out of it. Well, I'll concede that Revelation is one of those books that you kind of have to have your game face on. Not that you've got to be super intellectual or anything. That's not it at all. Not that you've got to have a Ph.D. in theology. You know, couldn't be further from the truth. But you've got to be calibrated. You've got to open it up, and like any other passage in the Bible, you've got to open it up with your heart wide open, ready for God to bring you stuff. But you've got, but you can't come in with preconceived ideas and notions and everything like that. That's where people get messed up. So this week, all we're, we're just going to get calibrated on the book. There'll be plenty of time to talk about Nero and Domitian and trumpets and seals and bowls and the numbers of the beast and, and every, all that other stuff that everybody likes to talk about and, and makes for good television and movies and, and, you know, people can write novels about it and everything like that. We'll eventually get to some of that. But first, we're just going to kind of get calibrated and we're going to look at some things. Question number one, which one are you? When it comes to the book of Revelation, which one are you? And you don't have to raise your hand, but more often than not, people tend to fall into five categ- one of five categories. You know, they are either avoided. You know, they don't know really why. But it's just almost as if the last book of the Bible just doesn't exist. You know, they, they kind of do their daily Bible reading, everything like that. They get through Jude. Jude was an easy one. And then I'll just go back to Genesis. You know, you don't know why you avoid it, but you just kind of avoid it. Or maybe you're intimidated by it. There are folks that are intimidated by the book of Revelation. Oh, there's signs and there's numbers and numbers and signs. And there's this apocalypse thing. And there's that Armageddon thing. And oh, there's beasts and child and women. and Oh, my goodness. Let's just go back to Genesis. It was so much easier. And we convince ourselves that we've got to be intellectually somewhere, otherwise we can't possibly read it. Maybe you're annoyed by it. Not annoyed by the book, but annoyed by the fact that you can't talk about Revelation without people just, oh, what's the mark of the beast? Oh, I think it's the European Commonwealth. I think it's this, I think it's that. And you just sort of get annoyed with all the fanfare. Maybe you are distracted by it. There's some people that are distracted by the book of Revelation. There's some people that are obsessed with the book of Revelation. i got to know what the numbers mean. i got to know what that sign means. I've got to be able to go chapter, verse, and put a name by all four horsemen of the apocalypse. And they're distracted by it. They're consumed by it. Which one are you? and maybe there's a different column, different category, but I want you to really think about that. Let's talk for a little bit about why we study the book of Revelation. Again, turn over in your Bible to the book of Revelation. There's four reasons I'm going to give you real quick as we kind of move things along. We're not going to let you know grass grow underneath our feet. Number 1, it is God's word. Okay? Revelation is God we're going to talk about it more in just a second. Revelation is just as much a part of God's word as any of the other sixty five books of the Bible. It is worthy of the same amount of respect. It's worthy of the same amount of reverence. It's worthy of the same amount of study. Now, yes, you know, there are some passages in the Bible that we turn to more than others. And I, I understand that. Certainly you know, if we want to understand God's plan of salvation or, or some other, you know, topics we probably wouldn't start at the back of the Bible. I get that, but it's part of God's Word, so it's, it's worthy of study. It is an absolutely phenomenal book. And I say phenomenal not because it's got all this wild stuff going on and dragons and things like No, that's not what makes it phenomenal. It is phenomenal because of the way that God wrote it. It is phenomenal for the way that God had this message that he wanted to convey to a group of people and he wanted to do so in such a way that they would look at it and that they would be you know, won over by it, that they would be encouraged by it, and to do so in the midst of all kinds of trials and tribulations. It is beautifully written. Some of the messages and some of the themes, and this is why I almost feel sorry for people that get so wrapped around what 666 mean, that they miss some of some very beautiful themes that pop up in this book that you almost don't see anywhere else in the Bible. It, it is just an absolutely phenomenal book. Uh, it, it's, we need to study it because the world gets this book wrong. More often than not, we'll talk about that in a second, it gets it wrong, and finally, it is one of the what I'm going to call the misleds. There are certain topics you know, that, that when they come up, more often than not, because of the way they get handled, because of the way that we have not defended them correctly in the past, they tend to be misleading to people. You know, so I put, you know, and we'll talk, you know, as we kind of walk through it and you begin to see how. But, you know, things like the creation, grace. When we get those wrong, they can be a little misleading. And, and the book of, of uh, Revelation can be misleading In the hands of people that are trying to make it say something that it's not. In fact, it can be very misleading. You know, one of the things that I'll just, I'll go on record and don't don't raise your hand because I don't want it to ruin our friendship or anything like that, but I see absolutely no purpose. And I'm not one that reads a lot, okay? You know, I've got a little ADD slash dyslexia slash a couple of things. Never been a big fan of reading. But if I did, the last series I would ever read would be the Left Behind series. I can't stand the series. It may make for good TV and everything like that. It may make for, you know, sort of a wonderful... But it's really misleading. Because it portrays the book of Revelation in a way that God doesn't portray it. And it runs the risk of being very, very misleading. Okay. Watch out for the rapture. Uh, there it is, and it's oh, have I mean, you got? We got to, we got to look out for it. How many of you have, you know, one of those is coming? Well, you haven't heard of the rapture, liars, every last one of you. But that's fine. I don't, you, know, you got okay, that's fine. Uh, thanks to our friends at RaptureReady.com, uh, and, and again. Um, you know they're they're tracking this for us they came up with an index and I don't know if you can read that I should have made it a little bit bigger but basically they created this index if it's an index of 100 or below with sort of a slow prophetic activity not a lot going on Uh, 100 to 130 it's sort of moderate 130 to 160 it's heavy prophetic activity and you guys think I make this up And a rapture index above 160, their words, not mine, fasten your seatbelts. All right. And so they go through and they they look at different things going on in the world and the markets and the economy. And they, they do this little ranking. Guess what it was the other day? 187. You guys ready? I hope so. Not only is it above 160. But except for two days, I think, it has been above 160 since they started doing this in 1993. Folks, that's a lot of time to wear a seatbelt. Okay? And this is just one example. And I don't know these people or anything like that. I mean, you can look at it and you can tell I studied it long enough because it somehow got a hold of one of my cookies there and it knows that I'm ordering from Jimmy John's a lot, but... So anyways, had the veto today, but that's what the world does. The world worries about stuff. What can I read into this? And somehow, how can I sort of turn this into this little magical science that somehow says, oh, we need to look out. Let's take a quick quiz. All right. Let's separate the book of Revelation into four distinct areas. All right. Area number one is just chapter one. It's the son of man. Talking about Jesus, introduction of Jesus. Uh, area number two, it's the, we'll call it the sevens. You know, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the bowls, and all that other stuff. Anyway, you know, it's, it's the sevens. Uh, section three, which is going to be chapters 12 through 16, it's the battles. That's uh, so where we got the dragons and the demons and flying monkeys or whatever. And then cha- then the fourth section is chapters 17 to 22 and that is the victory in Christ and the fall of the dragon. Okay, don't look at your Bibles. Okay, your option, one, two, three, or four. You guys ready? In which of these four sections do we read about the rapture? Which one? None of them. But if you go and if you were to ask Actually, you guys knew it was a trick question. But more often than not, someone will... Oh, it's, 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 it's That rapture, it's there in Revelation. Talking about the rapture. No. Rapture is actually talked about in Thessalonians. You know, the idea of those you know, that are dead in Christ being raised, those that are found, you know, talking about the end of time. That's, and it was done as Paul was trying to teach... And he was trying to encourage people about what was going to happen to saints that had gone on before them. He wasn't talking about, you know, driving around and all of a sudden, woo, there went the driver and you know, or anything like that, that we've made it out to be. But again, this topic of the rapture is one that gets attributed to the book of Revelation. Let's do another one since you guys are so smart. All right, here are your four definitions. Number one, fierce battle. Number two, revelation. Number three, Supernatural calamity, which is a little bit different than sort of a normal calamity. So that means it's got something behind it, you know, so it's not just a flood. It's sort of kind of got a supernatural component to it. And then number four, intense persecution. Ready? Where do, What does apocalypse mean? One, two, three, or four, which one more closely approximates that word, do you think? Who says One. Okay. Who says two? Who says three? Who says four? Who says Brenna's class is looking better and better? (laughs) Where's that Tim O'Neill guy? All right. Nicely done, David. (laughs) The answer is actually number two. The word apocalypse, apocalypto and apokalonia or, and all those other Greek terms that come out of there from which we get the word apocalypse comes from the word revelation. An apocalypse is to reveal. And again, this is so very, very important because when it comes to the book of Revelation and when it comes to things like the word apocalypse an apocalypse is a beautiful word. That we butcher and we use in all the wrong ways. In the beginning, you know, the way it was originally written, it was not the revelation of Jesus Christ. It was the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Is how this—that's how the Greek would have worded it. That this is the revelation. In fact, so, but all of a sudden, we attribute this idea of apocalypse. And we think that it's got to do with some fierce battle and calamity and and chaos and cats and dogs living together, if you remember the, you know, Ghostbusters, and all that other stuff. But its original word was to reveal. And in that context, the book of Revelation does not get sole use of the word apocalypse. You can go to Matthew, Mark, Luke. John, you can go to passages in the Old Testament and you can say that is an apocalypse of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a revelation. You know, that's why the book was called Revelation. Is because what what you begin to see unfold, a lot like the book of Hebrews is the writer and what John is getting to see and what he's getting to partake of and what God is showing him is this full, deep revelation revelation of Christ Almighty. A behind-the-scenes look at the Lamb. It is a revelation. It is an apocalypse of that. Now, oftentimes now we use the term, and, and now since we've butchered it, we've now coined this term apocalyptic language. And you'll hear that talked about. And a lot of times that's, talk, that's sort of wild symbols and symbolism and stuff like that. Oh, that's apocalyptic language. It's not quite a great use of the word apocalypse, But okay, if you ever hear someone say, that's apocalyptic. You know, a lot of times you hear them talking about Ezekiel or Daniel or the book of Revelation. And it's just is sort of a, a way to sort of express themselves. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right, we're doing all right. At least by Jim's standards. Okay. Let's talk about the uh, four keys. To studying the book of Revelation. All right, everybody pay attention. There are four keys. You'll be graded on these. Uh, The first one, number one, is respect its place among the 66. We'll talk about that more in just a second. One of the keys is respect the place. Number two, focus on the ending. Number three, be amazed at the, it should be six Ps, not five. We'll get to that in a second. But be amazed by them. And finally, number four, stay anchored to a couple of key verses. And we're going to go through these, and then you're, you'll get dismissed, and I'll keep you late plenty of other times to make up for uh, any unintentional dismissal of early right now. But uh, So these are the four. Respect its place among the 66, focus on the ending, be absolutely amazed at the six Ps, and finally, be anchored. Stay anchored. Just You don't have to memorize the whole book. All right? That might be a little unwieldy. If you do, I'll buy a pizza or something like that. Um, I think if you even came up to me and got halfway through the first chapter, you know, you're good. I, I just you know, don't have the patience or you know, the time to listen to you recite uh, the book of Revelation, to be honest. There's enough things I'm not getting to. But anyways, um, but there are a couple of key verses that you really got to stay anchored to. And if you do, the rest of them begin to start to fall into place. And I, I just picked, you know, three or four, and I, you can pick your own three or four, but the anchor verses in the book of Revelation do not involve the words dragon, 666, child, horseman, or any of those other things. It doesn't have the word bowl, trumpet, seal, or anything like that going on in there. It doesn't even have new heaven, new earth. We'll get to those in just a second. All right, here we go. Number one, respect its place among the 66. And like I said, it is as much a part of God's Word as any other book. It is part of the Bible. And because it's part of the Bible, it is part of God's Word, it connects. Turn over to Exodus chapter 3. If you really, you know, because oftentimes we talk about the Old Testament being... Uh, You know, sort of, you know, kind of a precursor to the New Testament, and how there are so many themes that we see unfold, tactically unfold in the Old Testament that we talk about and we see mirrored then in the New Testament. You know, that, you know, the idea of deliverance, the idea of sacrifice, the idea of atonement, and all of those things. I want you to look at Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, it is, you know, this is where, you know, Moses is coming before the burning bush, and God is going to talk to them. I want you to listen closely to what God's going to say, and I want you to keep Exodus chapter 3 in mind as we walk through the book of Revelation, and you will begin to see that what we read about, what we see in Revelation, is no new concept. Yep, maybe some of the things are handled a little bit different, and certainly we see the role of the Lamb very, very different. But look at what we've got here. Verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hevite, and the Jebusite. And now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. That's God's opening statement. After we got through the "I," you know, you know, take off your shoes, what did God say? I have seen it, and I have heard it. I have listened to the cries. Now, I'm going to take care of business. And I will deliver my people. That is a beautiful Precursor to what we're going to see in the book of Revelation. Through imagery and through some graphic language and through some some dreams that John is going to to be privy to, God is saying, Lamb, it's time. I have seen the tribulations of my people. I have heard their cries. I have seen their despairs. The Son of Man will come down off the mountain and deal with it. He will open the book. He will break the seals, and when all of that is finished, my people will be delivered. The book of Revelation connects. It is not this sort of sort of thing out here where you know where we just don't know. You know, one of the remember that's. Back in Sesame Street, you know, one of these things doesn't belong here. Remember that song? That's not Revelation. Revelation connects. Not only does Revelation connect, but because it's part of God's Word, it is consistent. The book of Revelation, by definition, because it is part of God's Word, it must be and it is consistent with every other teaching that there is in the Bible. Turn over to Mark chapter 13. Ooh, bad choice of fonts. I don't know what that last word is, but anyways, but um trying not to I don't know, maybe that was the Jimmy John sub going wrong there, I guess. But listen to what Jesus said. But of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know. When the appointed time will come. That's what Jesus taught back in Mark. Revelation, again, is just as much a part of God's word as the book of Mark. And so therefore there is nothing that Jesus could have taught that somehow now is different because we're in the book of Revelation. Just because we've got numbers and symbols and seals and trumpets and everything like that, scrolls and the likes, does not mean that all of a sudden, Revelation is exempt from any fundamental principles and fundamental teachings that Jesus brought when he walked here on earth. And so if Jesus said, and again, you know, there's more verses that we can go to there in Mark chapter 13. If Jesus said, of that time, you better be ready because nobody knows when it's going to be, only the Father." Of that time, you better be ready because even the sun is not privy to when that is going to happen. Of that time, you better be ready because nobody knows. And so if Jesus established that back in the book of Mark, and if that is a fundamental principle all the way through the New Testament, it doesn't change when you get to Revelation. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden, because we got this apocalyptic language, that somehow now it's different. It's exempt. And therefore, we can turn to it and we can somehow predict when the end of the world will come. And that we can match up numbers and, and who this is and who that is and who the Antichrist is and, and all of those other things. And we can predict. Buckle your seatbelt and get ready. It's part of, if, And what happens then really is what you're saying. When, when someone says, I can turn to the book of Revelation. And if I go to enough seminars and if I do enough Google searches... I can predict the end of the world. And what they're basically saying is, I no longer respect the book of Revelation as God's word. Pure and simple. And Because they're reading something into the book that was never there to begin. That by definition, it was never there. Okay, let's keep moving. The second thing we talked about is, oh, wow, we got to hurry. We got to focus on the the ending victory. Wiggle it around there for you. How many of you have ever T-vowed or, you know, back in the day we videotaped, right, a football game that you knew the ending to? I mean, it kind of took the surprise out of it, but it also made it a little more fun, didn't it? I didn't yell at the TV near as much if I knew we were going to win. I yelled at it a whole lot more if I knew, when I knew we were going to lose. But when you read the book, you understand that, there, that there's victory. At least 17 times, the teaching of victory comes up in this book. True victory. I mean, just an absolute victory. God is so very careful to show that to you. Okay, we've got to keep moving. We'll see it. Be amazed at the six P's. Number one, the purpose. And that'll flesh out as we get through this. You know, especially next week as we kind of set the stage what was going on with the Roman Empire and things like that. But the book of Revelation has a beautiful purpose to encourage Christians at that time, of some things that were about to happen. Some Christians that were going through the types of tribulations and trials, the likes of which we can't possibly comprehend, and what God wanted them to know was, I got this. I've got this. I see you. I hear your cries. I see your suffering. I understand everything you're going through. I got this. It's got a purpose to it. It's got a beautiful prose. The language in which it's written. It, it is, it, it's, it's gorgeous. It really is. I mean, I just it, you just can't help but like it. The way that God, you know, and I am always impressed. I am so fascinated by the way that God, through the Holy Spirit, has written, has allowed this book to be preserved. And how depending on the the message that needed to be sent, depending on those that would receive it and those that would bring it, the way that God customized the message and brought it so beautifully in just the right way, at just the right time, in just the right manner. The manner in which revelation is written is absolutely phenomenal. The things that God is able to convey, spectacular. The power. Power is going to be a key concept that comes up throughout the entire book. The absolute almighty power of God and of Christ Jesus is going to be put on display time and time again as we study this book. The raw power over death. The raw power over Satan. The raw power over anything that man would dream up and cause it. it—that The lamb has got that covered. You know, so often up until now we see the role of the Lamb as the sacrifice. We see, but and when we get to the Book of Revelation, it's going to start to behold. We're going to talk about the Lamb thundering from up top, the power. We're going to see precision in a manner that would make a hawk jealous. God has the ability with pinpoint, 100% accurate precision from every vantage point, from every distance, from every angle to see his people. And there's going to be at least three times in the book of Revelation that there is this interlude, there's this sort of moment where we sort of get from one topic to the next and in between that, God tells John, John, take a look at this, and what John sees is the precision with which God deals with those that love him. The point being that there is nobody undergoing anything. There's nobody so oppressed, so trialed, so in the middle of tribulation that God does not see them, see every tear, hear every cry. It's absolutely spectacular to see the precision of God. To see the perspective. That God maintains the perspective of this book, the perspective of God. The poise. We're going to see the Son of Man do some really cool things. Panic is never one of them. We're going to see all kinds of chaos and wild this and that and the other. Our God does not panic. Our Redeemer is poised. He is balanced. He is upright. He is immovable. And we will see that in great graphic language that the God we serve is not a God that reacts. The God that we serve is not a God that is taken off of his game. The God that we serve is not a God that goes to plan D, plan C, plan D, or anything like that. The God that we serve is very poised in all that he does. And at the appropriate time, and in the appropriate way, he turns to his son and says, now. All right. Stay anchored to a couple of key verses. All right, the first one is Revelation chapter one, verse eleven. Probably one of the most important ones. Well, not one the most important, but we're gonna. I got more slides on it, so I guess it's got to seem more important. Revelation one, verse eleven. He says, "This is instruction to John. Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches." Seems pretty tame, doesn't it? Look what he says write what you see this is a very important distinction because oftentimes as we see God's people God's prophets that take a message or write a book we see very clearly you know either explicitly or implicitly that God has a message that he speaks to his prophet and he expects the prophet to go and speak that same message to somebody else no um No, I don't care. (laughs) My wife and I drove separately. You should have too. Okay, anyways. John's admonition was write what you see. Not what you hear. Not what you think is taking place. John, I'm going to show you some things. I'm going to give you some visions. I'm going to take you up in the spirit so that you can connect with this. You tell in this letter what you see. There's a group of guys on top of Mount Everest. If I asked you to watch them climb Mount Everest, one of those feats that very few people in the world have ever done, unless you're a Sherpa and you do it every other weekend for some reason, but generally speaking, very few people have done it. A lot of people have died doing it. If you were to write that, if you were to watch that, what words would you use? More importantly, what wouldn't you say? You wouldn't say, "Well, there was a gentleman in a red parka and a gentleman in a dark blue parka with curious red mittens. You wouldn't tell me about feet. You wouldn't tell me about specific altitude. You wouldn't tell me about snowfall. Your language would be much more graphic, wouldn't it? You would talk about the trials. The tribulation, the slips, the fall, the fear, the pain, if you were to write what you saw. What if you went to Niagara Falls? And I said, write me an email and tell me about Niagara Falls. Tell me what you see. You wouldn't tell me about gallons per minute, you wouldn't talk to me about altitude. You wouldn't talk to me about what forms the phone. No, no. You'd use words like thunder, immovable power. You know, something that somehow grasped the sheer magnitude of what's physically happening there. What if I asked you to watch the footage and tell me about 9/11? What kind of language would you use then? As you described it, would you tell me what kind of plane it was? No. Would you tell me how the building was built? No. See, John was told right what you see. As you watch that, you just think of the language that you would use to describe that day. To describe the various scenes of pain and sorrow and tired to describe the faces of those that would do something like that, and to somehow articulate in words the type of evil it must take to do that kind of heinous act, that kind of unthinkable. How would you write that? You wouldn't tell me their names. You would describe it far differently. Or to tell me about a spirit and a mood that cannot be killed by anything that would get thrown at it. A pride even in the midst of of all that is chaos, even in the midst of all that is terrible. A spirit and a sense of victory. John was told, write what you see. Not what you hear, not what you think you hear or anything like that. And so a lot of this language is born out of the fact that John's instructions, tell me, John, tell the churches, what do you see? That's one of the anchor verses. The, uh, one of the second anchor verses is in, toward the end, Revelation chapter 22, verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. What's the message there? Keep the message intact. You know, we've always heard kind of those words. Well, speak where the Bible speaks. We'll be silent where the Bible's silent. We'll turn to the Old Testament verses and everything like that. Do not add to, do not take away from God's word. Well, one of the ways you add to or take away from God's word is A, if you don't read it, B, if you never study it, and C, if you try to get God's word to say something that it was never intended to say. Respect the message. Keep it intact. Finally, let's just look at Revelation chapter 1. Well, in Revelation 1 verse 1, Revelation 22 verse 6, these are sort of book end verses. And what he says is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his bondservants the thing which must soon take place. In both of those verses, at the very beginning and at the very, very end, God makes it explicitly clear. That what John is going to see, what he's going to have access to, the very message of something that must soon take place. And the word soon take place is not some generic chronological term of something I could happen. It's not in the same vein of, of that passage that with you know, God one day is a thousand years and a thousand years and one day. Which is sort of a generic way of saying that God is unbounded by time. Okay, this is a very specific use of the word soon implying something's about to happen. Not something could happen at any point in time, but something is about to happen. So, all right, so we're calibrated. All of the nutrition, none of the wasted calories. Uh, hope you have fun, or hope you actually come back, because we won't go near as long next week. Uh, we'll have a lot of fun in here. Um, there's even some cool videos that you may get to watch from time to time. I think you'll really like the, the speaker that does those, and, and so I'll just kind of interject those here and there. Uh, let's close in prayer. Father, dear God... We thank you for the revelation of your son, the revelation that we read about as we see that he walked the earth, the revelation of of him as the intermediary for us, the revelation of him as our sacrifice. God, thank you for loving us enough to reveal something so powerful and something so special. God, please bless us as we study and go with us as we're dismissed. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.